with me or is this an odd Sunday? I feel off today. Um, maybe it's because it's fallback Sunday. And if you got kids, you're like, yes, I get an extra hour of sleep. And you got kids, so they get up anyways. Um, so, you know, we got fallback Sunday going on. We have a deacon ordination. We got two gentlemen of the church that we're going to ordain as deacons today and present to the church, which is super exciting. It makes the day different. And so many people here, you might be visiting for the first time. And I want to say this Sunday, it's going to feel and look a little different. And that's okay. Because here at Memorial, we think ordaining deacons and having a service where we can come together and we can pray for them and recognize them, it's important for the church to do that. And so we're doing that today. So if you're visiting, I want to encourage you Today's going to be a little different. The sermon length might be a little bit longer because it's daylight savings time, so you have an extra hour, right? No, no, it's going to be a little bit short. It's going to be a little different. David's not up here. I'm not up here. So I just want to encourage you, if you're visiting, anytime you visit a church, give them three tries so you can kind of feel what the culture is of that church. Now, if you've been going here for a while, you know we are traveling through the book of John very very slowly. It's like we're crawling through it. And so I think it's going to be important to maybe take a little step back and maybe if you're visiting, catch you up and kind of give you a little context before you dive into this passage. Now, John writes his gospel for one main purpose. And that is that you would believe in the one that God sent. That is Jesus. And we've been spending this pretty much entire year unpacking that through the Gospel of John. And Jesus has revealed himself in three primary ways of, of descriptions of who he is. And to help with that, I, I, I'm a little simpleton. I have more simple design, simple tastes. Um, but one of the first things he says is Jesus is the, here's a quiz for you, what of life. Bread of life. Now, if you're simple like me, I really enjoy my Sara Lee bread. Great sandwiches, make toast, butter, throw an egg on top. So, to help us think about the bread of life, I brought Sara Lee here. So, Jesus is the bread of life. And we see that in the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Thirst is a clue for the second one. Jesus is the source of what? What do you think he's the source of? Living water. And if you're a simpleton like me, I really love Menards, and I think the best tasting water is actually this glacier mist. I'm probably a rarity, but I love my glacier mist. So Jesus is living water. I swear it's almost a year ago we talked about, preached on the woman at the well. And that would be John chapter 4. Like I said, we've been going through very slowly. Um, it, was, it was in spring we are talking about the woman at the well, and now we're in the fall. But in John chapter 4, we see that this woman is smeared, and she goes to this well. Jesus goes there and meets her, and he says, go give me some water. And on this, Jesus tells her this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water 
will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will come up in him, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is bread and the source of living water. Now last week, David preached. And what is the third description of Jesus that we see? He is the what? Light of the world. So I got a little camping. Just a little, little, little camping light. When it's really dark out, this actually would come in really handy. So to summarize what Jesus is saying about who he is, his own description is he is life. He is bread, food. Can you live without food? No. Can you live without water? Can you live without light? No, because there wouldn't be any food. So Jesus is saying, the way he describes himself is that he is the very embodiment of everything that brings life and eternal life. That is who Jesus is. And with that context, I want to pray and then open up to John chapter 8, verse 21. Because we're going to see Jesus here get a little rude, get a little direct, and say some painful things, some painful truths, as he compares himself to those he's speaking with. So let us pray. Dearly Father, we praise you that you sent your son Jesus to become flesh, the form of a man. To teach us and to guide us and to ultimately sacrifice his life for our sins on the cross. That we may believe in him and trust in him and have eternal life with you. To restore that broken relationship. We ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us today. To guide our hearts, guide our minds to respond to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 8, starting in verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to them, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus is the embodiment of life. And Jesus is speaking to the Jews, the Jewish leaders, to the Pharisees. That's who he's speaking to. And he says, you are going to die in your sin. Singular. And where I'm going, you can't come. You're going to look for me. You're going to try to come after me, but you won't find me. And they have this very interesting response and a very painful response. They say... What is he going to do? Is he going to kill himself? You see, at this time, the Jews with Hades, that's what we would call hell, they saw somebody who committed suicide as going to the depths of it, and so you would not be able to join them unless you died that way yourself. So what they are almost saying is they look so lowly on Jesus that Jesus is going to kill himself to make him 
below who they are. That's a weird comparison that they did. And what Jesus says is, you're from below and I'm from above. So Jesus says, you're right, there is a difference here. But the difference is, I'm from above and you're from below. You're from the world, I'm not of this world. So what is Jesus saying? See, if you go all the way back to Genesis, in the beginning was the war, the world was, in John 1, the beginning was the war, the world was with God, the world was God. Jesus, from the very beginning of all eternity, before anything was ever created here on earth, was with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and there was God Jesus, living in perfect unity, because he is from above. He humbled himself in the form of a man, and the Jews did not understand that. They did not see that. So he, Jesus, is telling them, you're from the world, I'm from above. And the interesting thing is, if you think of the Jews, the Jews saw themselves, the Jewish leaders, as the religious people, not of the world. They were separated from Rome. And he's like, you're all part of the same mix. You're of the world, and I am not. I told you you would die in your sins unless you believe I am he you will die in your sins. And then they ask them, who are you? And he says, I've told you. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I am life itself that leads to eternal life. And they have been rejecting him. Now I think it's going to be important to look at who are the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Because it's easy, when we look in hindsight, we got the full story. And it's easy to look at the the Pharisees and religious leaders as they're the bad guys. They're the villains. If you think of a DC movie, they're the joker. They're the ones that are all the problems. But in the time period, they were seen as the moral and religious leaders. They were the pastors and the deacons of the time. They were the one that people would go to. Who is God? How do I worship him? I've sinned. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? Can you give me wisdom? Can you reveal who God is? What do I need to do to follow God? These are the ones that would do that. These are the ones that would teach people and lead people and guide people. And so it's easy to vilify them, but it's harder to understand that they were the ones that was actually responsible to lead the people to follow God. And we have instances in Scripture where they are terrible and they've done messed up things. But even Jesus gives them some props. In Matthew 23, I found this really interesting when I was thinking about this and when I was reading about it. See, in Matthew 23, there's, we kind of start seeing what the problem of the Pharisees and religious leaders were. And Matthew is not very nice, I'll, I'll be honest. He, he's very direct, which is kind of fun. But Jesus says that the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat of authority, just like Moses, leading the people, guiding the people. And he says this, So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens and hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. So Jesus is saying, they have the right words. They have the right talk. They say the right things. You should really listen to them. Just, just don't act like them. Because they were missing the point. They were missing who Jesus was. They were missing 
the depth of what the law and what God had written in the Old Testament was for. And we see that in verse 23 when Jesus is very, very kind here to them and very direct. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. You see, the Pharisees and religious leaders, they were great and amazing at following the letter of the law. They would even go in the spice cabinet. Okay, what spices? Oh, I need to dump some of this. I need to dump some of that. This is for God. And they would go all these little things, but they, they missed the heart of the law. See, the heart of the law wasn't just having a do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Really, the heart of the law was to reveal the brokenness of Israel, the brokenness of humanity, and to point them to King Jesus. And the Pharisees, religious leaders, they followed the letters to the point of spices and dills. But they forgot about the mercy, the sacrifice, the justice, the Jesus that was revealed in Scripture. They were worried about what their actions of following the letter, but not following the heart of the law, the heart of who God was. Picking back up John chapter 8. Oh, in John eleven forty eight, there's another issue with the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. If we haven't gone to John chapter 11, we might be there at some point next year. But John eleven forty eight. If we let him, this is Jesus, go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Their biggest concern was that Jesus would be believed. That people would follow him and that they would lose their place in the nation. Now we've got to understand some history here. Roman had taken over the area and the Jews was under Roman's rule. Rule. And there's been many uprisings before of rebellions against Rome where somebody would come in and people would go, maybe this is a Messiah. Maybe this is Jesus. We're going to follow him. And they rise up militarily and Rome goes and looks at that and squashes it. And so there's a real fear of the religious leaders are going, if we let this go on, we will all be destroyed. A, we're going to lose our power and our position. B, we might lose our entire nation. Can you imagine that weight as a religious leader of if you don't keep Rome happy, you lose everything? Like, I can empathize with that fear of theirs. But the problem was they were more concerned about that than the truth of God's war and than what it was revealing. And that should be humbling for us. And that should be a warning for us as well. What do we hold on to that's not the truth of God because it is easy and it's convenient? So Jesus is life himself. The Pharisees are supposed to be religious leaders, but their actions and the way they lived was rejecting Jesus and they trusted in what they were doing themselves, their positions and the power rather than trusting in Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. 
And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. The natural response to hearing Jesus' words should be to believe in him. And that is what they did. Now here's another zinger that Jesus did to the religious leaders. Is they, he's telling them flat out, you're going to go and you're going to take the Son of Man and you're going to put me up. Hang me on a cross. You're going to kill me. So beginning, the Pharisees and religious leaders go, is Jesus going to commit suicide? Is he going to kill himself? And at the end, he basically tells them, no, you're going to do it. It is you, the religious leaders, because you rejected me. At the very beginning of this passage, Jesus says, your sin, you're going to die in your sin, singular. And that sin is disbelief, not believing in Jesus. And when you don't believe in Jesus, they're going to be culpable for all of their sins. And so that's what they're saying here. I'd like to have Alex and Garrett come up, if they wouldn't mind. I want to do a little illustration here um, to help kind of visualize what Jesus is saying. So let's pretend that up on the stage, that is abiding and that is dwelling with Jesus. That is partaking in the bread of life, the living water, and the light of the world. That is the heavenly places. And down here, this is the earthly. This is the worldly. So, these are our yoke fellows. If you haven't met them, I want to encourage you to really get to know them. They're awesome guys. And this is for illustration purposes. Do not hold anything they say that you go, that doesn't sound right against them. This is illustration because they're servants. So, Alex, why are you saved? Uh, I go to church every Sunday. I'm a, about to be a deacon. I read my Bible every every day, and I don't uh, smoke, drink, or dance. That's very Baptist to you. <laughs> so, wow, it's off this Sunday, I'm sorry, I'm sorry sound guys. Alright, so that's why Alex here is saved. Okay, now Garrett, why are you saved? I'm saved because Jesus lived a perfect life uh, that we couldn't live. He died on the cross in our place, and he was resurrected. Alright, so it's a fine line because both of these guys, if you look on the surface in this illustration, are both going to become deacons. They both go to church. They both do the right things. What is, what is Alex trust in? Ultimately, what is Alex trusting in? And Alex. And what is Garrett trusting in? And Jesus. You guys could sit down. Again, this is illustration. But I want... I want here's the scary thing. And here's the thing that gets me... Because sometimes I struggle with this. Because it's, it, there's a creep that happens. A.B. Deacon, A.B. Shepherd, everyone that teaches Sunday school, everyone that leads kids, first and foremost, we don't trust in what we do to make ourselves better Christians, to make us more right with God. We trust in Jesus to be our Savior and what the Pharisees, religious leaders were doing is we have the law of God. We have these rules. We have these rituals. And by doing these things, we are the holy people and they're puffed themselves up. But really what the reality of it is, is they needed to humble themselves like Jesus humbled himself and look to the Son of Man hanging up because that is the only thing that saves us. Now we are going to be presenting Alex and Garrett for deacons. 
What does that mean? A deacon is a servant. In Acts 6, we see that they were told to go basically wait tables, be responsible, show wisdom to, to serve other people. And what we are doing when we ordain a deacon is we're saying, here is two men that we see that are blameless, that are wisdom, that shows something special that God is doing in them. And we are saying, we recognize that they are going to have a weight and responsibility for the gospel and service here at Memorial Baptist Church. Now, here's the reality of it. Every single one of us has a part of the weight and responsibility to serve the gospel. We are saying there's something special going on here that we are recognizing God doing. It doesn't make Garrett and Alex any better Christians than anyone else. It doesn't make them more holy, more righteous than anyone else. Preaching up here does not make me more righteous or holy than anybody else. Being a shepherd doesn't. It is believing in Jesus Christ alone. And I want to close with this as we, we move on towards the ordination. It's Ephesians chapter 2. David read it earlier. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. By what he has done. And when we respond to the gospel, each and every one of us has good works that we should be doing because of what God has done. For some, it's shepherding, it's deaconing, it's teaching kids on Wednesday nights. God bless them because I can't do that myself. And some, we've responded to the gospel, we believe in Jesus, but what are you doing to serve in response to do what God has prepared you to do? That is a question that we need to ask ourselves. Another question, and this might be a harder question to get to. This is a hard, a hard issue. When we serve, do we see ourselves as being better Christians from our service? And start creeping on that track of trusting in what you're doing to make you right with God versus what Jesus has done. Because let me tell you, when you do that, when you trust in what you're doing, you start comparing yourself to others. And you start getting bitter and angry. Well, I'm doing all this stuff and nobody else does it. And that is a dangerous road to walk down. It's a painful road to walk down. So that's something we need to look at and examine ourselves as well as the worship team comes up and we respond. I want to challenge you with three main questions. Do you believe in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior? And what he has done. Or are you trusting in what you are doing? Are there times if you're serving, do you find that you, you, you get that creep of trusting in what you're doing to make yourself right with God versus what Jesus has done? And his sacrifice, his grace. And thirdly, what good works is God leading you to do? We talk about being deacons and shepherds and there's a ordination and a calling and sometimes we make it more fancy than it needs to be because those that get asked to serve in children's ministry and nursery some of them it's like 
that is their calling. They are so gifted and amazing at that. We love that. And there's others that go, they need help. I'm going to go and I'm going to serve. I'm going to humble myself. It's not quite what I like to do, but they need help and I can do it. And that is serving the body. That is, you don't realize that sometimes that is exactly what God wants you to be is where you kind of go, mm, is that really what I want to do? So what areas can you serve the body to share the gospel with others, to do the good deeds that God has prepared to you from the very beginning? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that Jesus is the bread of life, source of living water and the light of the world. We pray that you would reveal in our hearts any times that we allow a creep of trusting in ourselves over you. Trusting in what we do over your gospel and your grace. And if there's anyone here that has never responded to your words and realized that they need a Savior that sacrificed himself, that became man, fully God and fully man, laid his life down on the cross for us. May you walk on their hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.